Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Horror Bites on Save Room, the show where we highlight short indie horror games and the people who make them. I'm stuck in a nightmare town again, and he watches the weirdest shit at night. Together, we are Neil Bolt and Jay Krieger. How goes it, Jay? Pretty good, man. I'm trying to uh, make my viewing habits in that a little more normal, but uh, as this week will <laughs> be an indication, it's uh, more difficult than it actually seems to be. Yeah, it's never as simple as that. And you know, it's pretty much on brand, I think, uh, as games go for this show in particular. <laughs> Doesn't uh, leave me with a shortage of things to talk about, so there's that. That's it, that's it. Um, so this week, the dangers of too much late night TV, as we have attested to, and a lesson for travel bloggers to always do their research before going anywhere. These games can uh, be found on Itch.io. If you play them and enjoy them, then, you know, make sure you give them a sacrifice of a few coins or simply follow the project. Anything that'll help. So first this week, we delve into, you know, my Horrorbyte signature move, the game of late night TV vibes, but I didn't pick it. So Jay, tell us more about Late Night TV. Sure. So Late Night TV is developed by Goose Stranger. And I'm pretty sure at the end of the year, you, you and I are going to have to amass our, uh, you know, five favorite indie dev nicknames, names. because there have been a fantastic crop of them this year, uh, as you know, it was the case last year as well. But in Late Night TV, playing out over the course of five nights with each evening, beginning with the player looking out the window of their woodland cabin um, in the first yeah. person perspective before turning into their favorite TV show, The Amazing World of Albert. Now, when the player actually tunes into the show, the perspective shifts from that of first person to something that is akin to, you know, Airdorf's uh, Faith Games, right? So you've got this yeah. very chunky, pixelated, um, isometric almost sort of um, perspective with you exploring the world, uh, the woods and whatnot, as this character, Albert, right? And so... Things begin simple enough. It's kind of this uh, strange premise for a TV show where he needs to make a cake. And so he's wandering through the woods and trying to find the ingredients and whatnot. And it's kind of that similar sort of buildup where things begin very strange but simple and not all that sort of, uh, you know, not a massive red flag. But as the evenings progress yeah. and subsequent viewings of the show, you know, those red flags start to be a little more prevalent and whatnot. Um, so I'll say right off the bat with this one. I was very impressed with the perspective shifting, right? Because mm. it was a facet of the game that I was not expecting because initially I saw it and I thought, oh, okay, it's going to be one of these first person exploration type of games, which, you know, we've covered plenty of them. That's not an issue. But then to have that sort of um, surprise of then shifting the perspective, but then having gameplay shift as well and it being a 
you know, a facet of the storytelling from a different perspective and whatnot, I thought was mm. um, quite creative. And it was a way to allow this game to have a little bit more of an identity than just, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a, a faith homage, if you will, or yeah. you know, just another kind of run of the mill first person exploration horror game. And to see yeah. those two things like married together uh, was quite nice, I thought. Yeah, I think it does a fine job of splicing these different little things together. And I think that's, again, a growing sign of the confidence devs have at this level in sort of adding up what we've seen so far and, you know, making you know, the jump from that, you know. So, yeah, while there will be the obvious influence of his, uh, that we've mentioned already, it's a great way of using them in a way that learns the lessons from them and other games and creates this whole new annex and styles at this level that means you're going to notice it a bit more, you know, um, compared to something of a bigger budget. But I think it's a good mix of those things. You know, it's you know, the little TV jump away thing you know, of having this like mini game type thing where you're walking around and like you said, the, the obvious escalation of what's going on in it. And you, you go, it's predictable in the sense of you know kind of where it's going mm. after a while because it's like, well, yeah, I can see what the point of, you know, in that first person section with the opening and closing of the curtains to check before you can, you know, settle down to watch TV for the night and, you know, with everything going on outside, it makes sense. And, you know, I really like the curtains as a mechanic, you know. Yeah. It was... um always giving you the expectation that's going to be something mm-hmm. behind there. And then the then just you know, never really going that way as well was quite refreshing. So that and like the TV bits with the reporting about the missing people, the, you know, with the pasted on, you know, fit animated real life faces thing is like really good in that surreal sense of <laughs> feeling a bit off kilter. And yeah, I think the fact that the mini games, those TV sections, and the first person sections all feel so alien to each other. But you know, at the same time, this is part of why I like the whole late night vibe. It, it's capturing it in two ways, in the sense of literally the act of watching late night TV that seems a bit often weird, but it also just all feels like late night TV that is often weird in itself. So I've not seen a game you know that we've had do that sort of thing do it like this so that that again was nice to see that that idea hasn't run out of steam and there are different ways of it being done yeah you know the way in which all these pieces that are foreign to one another kind of meld together it does capture that feeling of like when you're watching tv late at night you fall asleep and then you like almost don't realize you fell asleep and you're like wait a second yeah what where am i picking up in this show how long have i been asleep for and then you check your watch and it's like oh shit i fell asleep 20 minutes ago and I think that that's a great way to kind of piece all of these parts of the either gameplay or the viewing uh, perspectives and whatnot together. Um, and I think like you had said, the uh, broadcaster coming in is great because it's not only like this very bizarre looking sort of mishmash of art styles and whatnot that, you know, furthermore conflict against the perspectives and the art style that are seen in the mini game and also in just like wandering around the house. Um, but ultimately, you know, there is that kind of dark, surreal humor to it where he's like reporting on these people that are missing. And then he yeah. follows up the end of that report by saying, like, let's be honest, that person is totally dead uh, <laughs> in this kind of like slapstick, absurdist way. 
um, that gives a nice sort of just, I don't know, like a, a mania, I suppose, to, again, this idea of this late night event that keeps occurring and whatnot. And you feel like this should be a much bigger deal and more people should be on alert. And yet it just keeps happening and whatnot. And the ways yeah. in which they're able to, you know, give that infusion of humor and the variety of uh, mini games and whatnot in it, as you said, it just shows that, you know, this late night TV um, sort of premise is one that still has some legs to it, I think, if the right creative gets a hold of it and, uh, you know, is able to impart some of their personality and their, uh, you know, spin on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another strong point here is the way it's ended. You know, um, while you do get the obvious idea of what it's leading to, the way it resolves the problem is, yeah, surprising. You know, it, the game is ambiguous enough to not have to worry about making too much sense about whys and hows and stuff, but you know, there is at least some sense it can be sort of taken from the, the way the game ends. And I like that it wasn't just the obvious thing, you know, like door opens, jump scares somehow. Because, and yeah, again, it's one of those things that I think plenty of developers realize is you know, such a trope, you know, within this sort of mini world of horror games that they can do that and subvert it in different weird ways. So yeah, that, that again was a, a lovely little sort of thing to see about this game. Yeah, it was really nice not to see this kind of overly rely on some of the tropes that we've seen with a lot of these small projects. And um, it's very rare, I think, that we play these games and we feel like we don't sort of begin to see behind the curtain, if you will, of the mm. sort of, and, you know, it's going to have familiar sort of beats in terms of the buildup. But at the same time, what leading up to that finale, I was kind of just like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens next because it's just got this uh, sort of like sensibilities that are all its own that it could go in any direction. And it certainly does. And uh, it has a, quite a surprising ending. Yeah, it does indeed. So yeah, that was a, a good start for this week. Uh, but before we change the channel, we will take a short break. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back. For this week's second pick, I bring you Mask Devourer by Hidden. I'm going to say it's hidden rather than hiding, but uh, <laughs> it, just, it, it feels like a better way of doing the wordplay. Um, in this game, you play a travel blogger who loves filming all her exotic escapades around the globe. Unfortunately, she didn't read the travel guide for this particular small town in Japan uh, because now she is trapped in a nightmare with a creature that is pretty much fixed on hunting her down. So this is, again, back to the old... Uh, idea that you look at these games on itch.io as the old vhs store sort of thing of like oh look at this front cover this looks interesting pick it up see what it's about there we go picked it and yeah this was a great example just because the title looked you know very much like one of those videos you know, and the way the titles are written and presented straight away i was like oh, okay yeah that's cool and then the image of like the Japanese creature that is on there as well. I quite like that. <laughs> like, 
I read the like the the uh, descriptions page, obviously where you can get download it on it here, and you get that sort of broken English style, you know, uh, throughout the description where it it makes some of the descriptions quite amusing in a way that's quite endearing, yeah, and um, yeah, just it, ticking the boxes of saying, yeah, it's got a terrifying monster, it's creepy, faster inspired, it's you know, solve mystery, survive things like. Uh, it is just so matter of fact in a, in a really fun way that you know I certainly didn't feel it in the game in that sense. It, the game itself is great on the atmosphere. You know they are upfront in telling you you know Silent Hill, Resident Evil stuff. That that's their inspiration, and you can smell that from the second you, you load the game up. It is there in the foggy sort of atmosphere. Um, you know the, the little narration going on. You know it has voice acting you know which they themselves admit is not professional <laughs> which is you know, I like again i love the honesty and the way that everything is presented up front about this game but still very much appreciated that was the first thing that kind of was a indication that okay the scope and scale of this is going to be a little bit larger than we're used to right because the fact that it's yeah. fully voiced regardless of whether or not you know it's professional or not it's like oh well okay they're going the extra distance to getting that involved in the game and if anything, it gets the player more involved in the story that's being told instead of, you know, sometimes you're reading text that's not always perfectly edited or translated or something. And sometimes it's difficult to connect with a small horror bite or slice of horror uh, such as this. And to have that voice acting like right away gets you mm. a little bit more engaged, I think. And, you know, for a game, as you mentioned, where if you want to call it like the box art, if you will, like that is a very uh, distinct sort of almost... 60s-esque sort of creature feature uh, approach, yeah. I think, to like the whole presentation of the box, the fact that you have the monster front and center, and yet the game takes it one step further and uh, really capitalizing on that. It really does. And one of the things that was really smart straight away was capturing that sense of scope and scale that games of the era it's evoking used to have, where everything felt a lot more wider and more intimidating than it actually was. You know, the smoke and mirrors of everything that's there to say, oh, you're actually in a much bigger world, but you just, you know, you're conveniently shut off from certain areas of that. It gets that quite well. And, you know, it's two sections effectively, you know, you have this wide open section where you're in the town and wandering around it and seeing all these, you know, traditional sort of Japanese buildings. And then you have like the second half, which is basically just like this maze of corridors which you know, was the lesser half of the game for me yeah. in terms of what it was because it kind of lost some of that personality that was in the first half. But at the same time, they establish the creature that's following you so well, that, especially in audio terms, that it does make those uh, you know corridor sections really intense in their own way. Yeah, And I love a good bit of a... Audio cue, you know, when it comes to horror, especially when it's something you know it leads to something coming, and this is great at that. And the systems you have in place, like with the candle, the way that's implemented as well, and just the puzzles, you know, they're not like you know, full-on Resident Evil style nutty things, but they they again evoke the idea of those survival horror games of the time, and uh, give you an excuse to sort of wander around, soaking up this atmosphere and again making it feel like a bigger experience than it actually is so yeah this is quite impressive 
you know, um, piece of work in that regard. I think it's taking a lot of its inspirations in a positive way beyond, you know, the, the obvious, despite them being very upfront about you know, what their inspirations are and how heavy they are. It's doing that great thing where it is just evoking it whilst being its own thing. Yeah, and very much it you want to feel like that game could have been part of that era rather than copying that era. And this is very much yeah, that it is being its own thing. Well, I think that this is one of those experiences that really utilizes the atmosphere in a way that um, sort of elevates, I suppose, the brunt of the experience, which is dodging this giant monster that's patrolling the streets, right? And the fact that mm. you have that Silent Hill fog of war almost that sort of um, obscures your vision to a certain degree of the monster. Yeah. And at some po- some points, you know, completely, and you just have to rely on that audio cue, which I love the maze-like structure of the city that you're exploring when you're talking about like the first half of the game. And the mm. fact that, you know, all you have in some instances is your audio cues and that's hearing that clickety clackety of its feet, you know, yeah. and sometimes you're kind of playing this guessing game of, is it the alley next to me? Is it the alley in front of me? Is it the alley behind me? And then sometimes you run around a corner and it's right there in your face and you get that game over. Um, and I think that the game does a great job of taking that idea of being a rat in a maze, which essentially the player is, mm. but it actually has tension and it has build up. And at the same time, though, it's a world that's large enough. And, you know, one of the main mechanics is that, you know, there's no combat, so you have to hide. And so you hide yeah. in these dumpsters, but the dumpster is not the end all be all of your sort of strategy because you can only be in there for a certain amount of time before you run out of oxygen, mm. right? So you always have to be on the move. And to a certain degree, you really do have to start to memorize the layout of the streets and the alleys of this small town that you're yeah. investigating, which, you know, when you are sort of running for your life at any given moment, you get lost and running around looking for a dumpster, but then you start to pick up on landmarks. So that way, mm. when eventually, you know, you have to go find uh, a house that has a vending machine in front of it or has graffiti on it, you know, these very subtle tells of their, uh, you know, individuality of being a location. Um, there's just something about having to, you know, familiarize yourself with an environment when you don't really have a moment to stop and pause and analyze it, but it becomes sort of like muscle memory. It's like, oh yeah, if I go right yeah. here, then it's two streets down and there's that house that I need to find that has, you know, that puzzle piece or that key or something that I need. Um, and yeah, you know, just again, the sort of the way in which the monster itself is presented through that grainy sort of CRT presentation, um, it does mm. a good job, I think, of obscuring just enough of it. Granted, as we mentioned, on the box of the game, you see what the monster is. But I think that that perspective really does a good job of sort of just making it feel like grimy and grainy, something that uh, it's almost as if like, oh, yeah, this is the VHS tape that we recovered from the scene of a crime kind of thing. Uh, so when that yeah. you know, big face kind of breaks through the uh, fog of war, it is you know genuinely alarming uh, in a mm. way that you know if it was sort of just clear skies and uh, smooth pixels, you'd be like, okay, yeah, it's a big monster. Um, and yeah, I was impressed also just with the um, the layers to environments. You're going to come to yeah. one specific location, and early on you can't access much of it, but then you know you have later objects that you'll find and key items that allow the world to expand a little bit. So it feels much bigger and more complex sometimes than it actually is, which I think is a good job of sort of hiding perhaps uh, some limitations, if not. Yeah, absolutely. And here again, there's another game that um, 
does something good with its ending, I think, because in that sort of final rush to escape that you get, you know, and you turn back and see the thing chasing you and it's changed, you know, in the way it's changed. And you can just about see what it is, but can't. And I love that. It, the fog really kicks in then because it's slow enough that you can sort of stop and look around for a little minute, but you don't want to get close sort of thing. And it's like, let's say you're sort of caught in two minds, but I love that it's paced just well enough to give you a chance to go, you know, you've basically made it, but you know, you know, you can't dilly dally too much here if you really want to get going. On, but you can just see what's coming after you, and it's, it, the in yeah, the way it looks is just kind of horrifying in its own little way. And I, I was very much a, a fan of the way that went down. Good stuff. So we are wrapping things up again for this week. But if you are a developer of an indie horror game demo concept or game jam entry, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a DM at SaferInPod on Twitter or at SaferInPod at gmail.com for email if you'd like to be highlighted or interviewed on the show. Jay, it has been a pleasure as always. We will see you next week. In the meantime, we'll keep searching for more Horror Bites. <laughs> <laughs>